All right, how we doing? Good, good. You're awake? That's awesome. Well, this is a good weekend to be in church. We believe that all the time, right? Okay, good. Uh, But it's also kind of a fun weekend because it was on this weekend, 52 weeks ago, that we opened the doors of the movie theater and had our first ever South Campus service. That is awesome. And so happy first birthday to South Campus. Uh, That is a pretty cool thing. This really is kind of a, a crazy occasion. It's one of our house rules, we call them, our core values as a church, that we would be willing to take risks for the kingdom. And sometimes those risks look like raising a whole bunch of money to try something brand new that isn't guaranteed to work because we think maybe Jesus will use it. And this is one of those times that we did that exact thing. And we do that because we want to be able to say at the end of our lives, I tried everything I could with everything I had to reach as many people as possible. Isn't that what you want said of your life and of your church? And so sometimes new things work and sometimes they don't. I would rather our legacy be that we try and fail than we don't try at all and we just stay comfortable. And so every weekend over the last 52 weeks, except for two that we kind of took a break at Christmas, uh, there are a team of people who unload a trailer at stupid o'clock in the morning And they set up sound gear, and they practice instruments, and they set up kids' ministry, and they set up a coffee desk so that people can have church over there. And then when it's done, they have to pack it all back up and put it back into a trailer with the time ticking away because we've only got so much time to get out of there. And they do it because they believe that Jesus can make a difference in some of those people's lives. We do this because... We believed that going over to the other side of the river was a way to reach people uh, that maybe we weren't going to reach over here. That maybe it was a way to reach people that aren't comfortable walking through the doors of a church, but they'll walk into a movie theater. And they'll give something a shot over there. And so today is a birthday party for sure. It's also a thank you to that team of people week in and week out who make it happen. Um, I also want to especially thank uh, John, Pastor John Sherwood and his wife Kelsey and Brandon and Emily Ingram who have really taken ownership in in giving leadership uh, to this campus and to all of the volunteers that are over there. Uh, I am sure that there have been more than one occasion where it was dark and minus 30 in the winter in 6 a.m. and a bunch of people thought it'd be easier to not do this. But if they did, I didn't hear it once. And that's not what we're called to anyway, right? And I love that we have a church full of people who are willing to do the hard things so that Jesus can be proclaimed to a city who needs to hear about him. It's not about what's easy. And it's so exciting to be able to say that after a year, we've had a whole bunch of new people make Crosspoint their home. They have found a family and a community, that there have been people who have given their lives to Jesus. We have baptized a bunch of people from the South Campus. People's lives and eternities and family trees were were changed forever because we went over to South Campus and had church over there. And so to say, you know, today we want to celebrate that. You should eat cake and be happy today. It's, it's, good, it's good stuff, and we're celebrating that, and we're excited about that. I do get asked a lot of the time, so how long are you going to run this for? 
How long are you going to run South Campus for? And I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question is, where else do we go? I think the right question is, what's next? Where else does God want to move? Where else is there people needing to hear about Jesus? And so if that is a daunting feeling to you, then that probably means we're right where we're supposed to be. And uh, we are celebrating all that God has done this year. We are also looking forward to what all God is going to continue to do at South Campus and at Cross Point in this coming year. We often hear the phrase and have people say the phrase, a great days ahead. It's true. I believe we're in them right now, though, also. And I believe that God is doing a good work at this church and in our city right now. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. Amen? Amen? Amen. So eat some cake for Jesus today and celebrate. Uh, we're going to continue on with our series that we're in called My Secret Identity, where we're talking about who we are in Christ and so last weekend, for example, we talked about how we are God's prized possession over all creation. You think about all creation. You think about all the things that God made. Like if I'm God, I'm thinking the, the weekend I made Hawaii was great. Have you guys seen that? That's a great thing. I made that. And then he's thinking, you know, the Grand Canyon, some of my best work. Mount Everest is an impressive spectacle. I mean, I've done things in space you guys haven't even seen yet. You know, in, in Mars, I've done things that you guys aren't going to discover for a few more years. I threw rings around planets that you guys haven't. I'm, I've done some pretty incredible things. And he looks at all of his creation and he says, and yet over all of it, you are my prized possession. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? So that's what we talked about last weekend, and I hope that that was an encouragement to you and this whole series has been. Uh, we're going to continue to look through our passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 today, and uh, one more time, we're going to read this together. I'm going to read the passage. I want you guys to read along with me when it gets to the bold parts. Do you have this memorized yet? That's why we're still doing it. It says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. And once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And so today we're going to talk about the line there that says, you are a holy nation. Now, we already talked about the nation part. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about how this is part of a community, that our identity is directly linked to community, right? So this weekend, we're going to talk about the part that says you are holy. God looks at his people and calls them holy. Look around this room. Really? Holy? Is that the word that comes to mind? Holy cow! Right? Isn't, isn't that how we use the word holy? Haven't we just kind of diminished it to be the word you, you say in surprise exclamation over some holy bananas? And there's, like a, there's a lot of people in the world who would not consider themselves to be remotely holy that use the word holy more than we use the word holy. So what does the word holy really mean? And, and why, why is it offensive to people sometimes? Right? You hear people, holy cow, well, don't use the word like that. I don't like you saying that. And I'm sure if I incorporated holy cow into my weekly sermon, I would start getting some emails. But why? Why? What's the big deal about holy? 
What's the big deal about holiness? We use these words. We, we kind of think maybe we have an understanding of these words, but there's other times when I, I think we're a little confused on it. Sometimes we use holiness as a good thing. We're like, okay, holy is good. Holiness is a good thing. And then there's other times we use it as a negative thing. And, and maybe you've been told this before. Quit being so holy. Quit being so holier than thou. Right? And it's a negative thing. Well, what one is it? Is it a good thing or is it a negative thing? Now, is, is holiness something that is sacred or is holiness something that you look around and think, well, it's just kind of ordinary? And why is the answer yes to both of those questions? I want to talk about holiness today. I want to talk about what it means that God says we are holy, but what it means to kind of feel like we're not anything remotely like holy. And so things are about to get super Wesleyan up in here for all you Wesleyan theology fans. We are what is called a uh, holiness denomination, which means that for us, we believe this is a really pivotal part of our theology want you to know there is no financial incentive for me to speak on holiness today, unfortunately. I wish that were the case. It is not. And so I want to start by talking about what the word holiness really means, which is the most boring way to start a sermon, but I think we need to start there. Holiness, at least according to the Hebrew word and the way we use it biblically, is really a word that means other or set apart. It's something that is other. It's not common. It's not ordinary. It's not in with all the other things, but it's been something that's kind of been taken out and it is set apart. It's something that's other. That's what the word holy means, and yet it means more than that because that could really mean what I just explained there could be any number of words. You could just use the word different, right? Or you could even use the word weird. That's what I just explained. So if weirdness is all it takes to be holy, then good luck for a lot of us in this room tonight. So it means something more than just set apart or other. What it means biblically is that it's something that is set apart by God for God. It's something that's been set aside for God and for his use and for his purposes. That's what made something holy. And if you read through the Old Testament, if you start reading through the book of Leviticus and all of the laws and the regulations they had to follow, you'll actually find out that there's a whole bunch of things that got called holy. Like inanimate objects got referred to as holy. And, and, and there's, you know, there's this big golden table that got sat near the Ark of the Covenant and they had to put holy bread on it and holy oil on it. And, and it was just, yeah, how, how can that be holy? But here's what Leviticus 24.8 says. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant the loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants who must eat them in a sacred place for they are most holy. All right, so we've got a holy table and it's got holy bread and it needs to be eaten in a holy place by holy people. How can bread and people be holy? Right? What does that even mean? Well, that means first and foremost that the word holiness then cannot just mean morality. The word holiness cannot just be about really good behavior because what does bread behaving badly look like? It sounds like a Food Network TV show. You know, what, what does immoral bread looks, look like? It looks like whole wheat bread, for instance, but other than that, 
Right? It can't, it's got to be something about more than just behavior and morality if all these other objects can just be called bread. The table and the bread were set apart as holy because God set them apart to be used for his purposes and he called them holy. In other words, if it is something that is belonging to God is what makes it holy. So what makes us holy is that we also belong to God. And we have been set aside for his purposes. We have been called other in this world where everything is like this. And he has said, no, 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 I want you to be other. I want you to be set apart because I'm going to use you for something. And so that makes us holy. Holy then is not just about behavior. You can, you can be well-behaved and a very moral person for all kinds of reasons. You can do it to impress people. You can do it to feel better about yourself. You can do it to build your reputation. You can do it to try and earn favor with someone. But all those things are actually a little bit self-serving when you think about them. And none of them have made you holy. You can be moral and not holy. Right? But the good news is that the flip side is also true is that you don't have to be perfectly moral for God to look at you and say, you are holy. Right? That is what we believe. I mean, that's what 1 Peter 2.9 tells us. It says, we are a holy nation. Right now. That's not aspirational. That, that is not something that you will get maybe if you work really hard at it and someday you will attain. Holiness is not for advanced Christians. Holiness is not for all the Christians who have leveled up and lived a certain kind of way. God looks at us now and our brokenness and, and all the things that we do and say and the mistakes that we've done. And he says, no, you're my holy people. We are a holy nation in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God looks at us, and he says that we're holy. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We are his dwelling place, and so we have been set aside and set apart for his use. That's what it means. It's great. We are holy right now. So the next time someone says to you, oh, quit being so holier than thou, then you can be like, well, actually, theologically, I can't be any more holy than I am now due to the indwelling spirit of God within me. <laughs> right? And, and you'll never get picked on again, I promise. <laughs> so then being called holy then is really not about how you have to live perfectly day by day by day. And you know what? God's people really struggled with that after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They really struggled. I mean, for years and years, hundreds of years, for centuries, they had to live by a certain very strict, very complex kind of moral code, all of the laws and all of the regulations. And if you broke some of those, they were life or death. They took it seriously. And then Jesus comes along and he lives and he dies and he comes back and he says, you know, all of that law stuff that you had to do, you don't have to do it anymore. I did it for you. You can take it all and crumple it up and throw it away. And all you have to do now is accept me as your savior. And you will be acceptable and clean in my sight. You don't have to obey the law. You don't have to worry about breaking one of those old commandments. I did it for you. Even Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He had to have this knocked into his head by God on so many occasions. The New Testament is full of stories about how Peter was like, no, I still think we need to be Jewish. 
And they're like, no, 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 I still think we need to obey certain laws and customs. I still think we need to avoid certain people. And it was, no, no, you don't. That is the old way. And there is a new way. And in Christ now, you are called holy. It is not about the law. It's not about behavior. It's not about morality. It is in Christ that we are called holy. Hebrews 10.10 says it like this. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That's it. It's done. Once for all time. In Christ you have been made holy. All right, so you're thinking, great, that's good news. Good word, we can go home. Except there's more to it than that. See, we are holy, and yet the Bible says we also need to be holy. And I know that sounds like the same thing, but it's different. It's like being told, okay, here is the title. This is who you are now, but you have to go live it out. You actually have to fulfill that calling that's on your life. 1 Peter 1.14 says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says it a little more bluntly. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Well, now that sounds like a threat. It's like a holiness threat. What's going on in here? You already told me that I was holy through Jesus Christ, but now you're telling me I have to be holy? I have to work at holiness? If if I'm not holy, I'm not even going to see the Lord? Like, this sounds like kind of a paradox. What's going on? You know, I, I like the scripture that says, you are holy. That sounds like a promise. And then there's these other scriptures that say I have to be holy, and that sounds like more of a command. What one is it? Is holiness a promise or is it a command? And the answer is, yep. Yes, it is. It is both of those things. All of those scriptures are true and right. The word of God does not contradict itself. And so we have this fun little theological word that we call sanctification. And sanctification is really just the process by which something is made holy. Uh, And when you make the decision to follow Jesus, we believe that in that moment, instantaneously, you are made new. The old is gone. The new has come. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You have been made holy in His sight. We call that initial sanctification because you have become holy. You have been made sanctified in that one-time instantaneous process. But we understand, don't we, that that is not the end of the journey. That is the beginning of the journey, right? And the goal is to become more and more like Christ. The goal is to grow in our faith, that the goal is to mature in our faith. Paul talks about moving from babies who are drinking milk to being grown-ups who are eating meat, right? This is a progress. This is something that happens over time, and we are slowly transformed into Christ-likeness. This is a gradual work that God does in our lives with our help as we obey and as we submit and as we let him do some work in our lives. And so we have a role to play in our holiness, 
We have to make decisions every day that I will not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. I will be other. And I will be a holy and living sacrifice, is what Romans 12 says. So this is a thing that I have to do every day and make the decision to wake up and follow Christ and obey him in everything that I do. So I am holy, but I got to be holy. I mean, it makes sense because we do this in other areas of our life. Uh, If you are married, it's kind of like that. See, when you got married, it happened instantly, right? You signed the paperwork. The province said, okay. Your pastor said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You got married. You're done. But you're not done. You are actually just beginning. You are just starting on that journey. And uh, how many married people are still learning new things about their spouses even today? Yeah, see? I asked my wife this week, what didn't you know about me then that you know about me now? And, And she was like, well, I didn't know you were such a nerd. That's not what I was looking for. And so we talked about it and we said, well, we learned about how we operate in really challenging situations. We, we talked about, you know, what kind of parenting style we had. And when we, we've learned all about what we do when we're stressed and the way that we celebrate when things are good. Uh, we learned, you know, when she's being super emotional, the thing to say is not quit being so emotional. We've learned lots of things about one another all along the way. We've been married for 16 years and we are still learning. Amen. And so here's the thing. As you get married and you stay married, you get closer and you learn about one another and you you have a a wider understanding of what it means to be with one another and and but you don't ever say well I'm more marrieder than I was right I'm more marrieder than you are well no you you're married or you're not right and so holiness is like that we are holy and yet we are progressing in our holiness, getting closer to Jesus, learning new things about him, learning how to interpret scriptures, learning how to live in the spirit, learning what it means to follow and and kind of become who we are in Christ. And so now hopefully it makes a little bit of sense to understand, all right, you are holy, but you need to be holy. We are holy, but we need to live out our holiness. Philippians 3 says it like this, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So Paul uses the same language. He's saying, I'm I'm not necessarily going to get to perfection, but you better believe I'm going to reach for it every day. That, That I'm going to press on and become the person that Jesus Christ has called me to become. And I'm going to hopefully end up someday at the end of my race knowing that I ran it as well as I could, growing as much as I could, because the goal is to look more and more and more like Christ every single day. It is progressive. And Paul's not suggesting that perfection is ever a state that you are going to reach on this earth. It is not. He says, I'm just pressing on towards it. It is my goal to get as close. It is my goal to keep attaining. It's my goal to keep growing. I'm not ever going to reach a level where I'm like, nah, I'm good here. He says, I press on. And it's cooperation with Jesus. 
It's understanding that he is the one who can only do certain things, but we are the ones who have to obey him. We are the ones that have to submit to him and allow him to do certain things in our life. Every day, holiness is saying the same thing Jesus said. It's not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Someone once asked the famous preacher D.L. Moody, why do you always preach about being filled with the Spirit? And his answer was, because I leak. Anyone? You feel like that sometimes? No one woke up perfect today. No one will go to bed perfect tonight. But you can be better today than you were yesterday. You can look more like Christ today than you did a year ago. And you can look more like Christ next year than you do right now. Don't ever stop pressing on. Don't ever get content with where you are. But let us continue to pursue holiness in all that we do. So we have initial sanctification that says, all right, I have been made holy. I got saved. And then there's progressive sanctification that says, I'm growing and I'm learning and becoming more like Christ. And yet there's also this idea of entire sanctification which is not a way of saying, all right, I have reached perfection, but it's another way of saying, I have given myself entirely to Jesus Christ. I have given myself over entirely. So it's kind of like this. Imagine your life is represented as a home. And all of the rooms in your home, all the spaces in your home make up your life. There's a room for your time and a room for your money, a room for your possessions, a room for your dreams. There's a room where there are some secrets there, and there's another room where there's some behavioral stuff, and there's another room over here, and all of these rooms make up your home. And one day, Jesus comes to your front door, and he knocks, and he wants to come in. And initially, you're like, I don't know about this. You're looking through that little peephole, you know what I mean? You're like, I don't know about that guy. But you know of some friends that made that decision and it was working for them and you're, you get convicted and you start to feel something like maybe I'm supposed to let him in. So, so the day comes where you let Jesus into your home. You let Jesus into your life. We call that salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so Jesus comes in and that's our initial sanctification. But we find out that Jesus does not just want to chill on the couch. He doesn't want to just sit down and have a coffee. He looks around at your house. He's like, oh, there is some work to do. We got, we got to clean your house. He's like one of those guys on TV who wants to renovate. And he's looking around thinking, we could do some stuff with this. And so you're like, okay, Jesus, let's, let's clean the house a little bit. And so he starts and he goes into your kitchen and, and he starts getting the soap and he's scrubbing away, you know, some of your potty mouth. And then he gets out the mop and he's mopping away some of your anger issues. And, and he goes to the back and he's starting throwing stuff into boxes, some prideful thoughts that you had. And he's done with the kitchen and then he moves on to the living room, and, and he's getting rid of old furniture. He's bringing new furniture in. He's dusting down your bookshelf that you haven't dusted in years. And, and I mean, it, look, you take a trip to the new Ikea. You get some new stuff, and, and you set it all up, and it's looking really good. I mean, the house is getting a new, fresh coat of paint, and, and things are really moving on. But the whole time it's happening, you've been working with him. Because he says, you know what, I, I need your help. In this, I need your permission to do some of this stuff, and so we got to do this together. So he's really been doing a lot. I mean, he's the expert, but we've been needing to help all along the way. And the day comes when we realize kind of the, the public spaces of our home 
are completely renovated, and people come over and they notice. People start to take notice. They're like, I like what you've done with the place. Things are looking really good right now. This is kind of neat. And you think, all right, well, maybe we're done. Maybe Jesus just wants to sit down and have some coffee. And and you sit down. He's like, I'd like to actually take a look at some of the rooms that people don't see. I'd I'd like to go look at your bedroom. I'd like to see what's in the garage. What are are in all those boxes that are up in the attic? And you're like, oh, you want to do like a clean, clean. You want to do a deep clean, and he's like, yep, and so you're all, okay, let's do this, and you have just like a full-on purge, right, and Jesus kicks in and gets a dumpster, and you are just throwing stuff out, and he is cleaning you up, and some habits, and some thoughts, and some things that have gone wrong, and so this is what we would call progressive sanctification. Jesus has come into your life, and he's doing some work, and you are helping him all along, all along the way, and, and you couldn't have done it without his abilities, but he couldn't have done it without your help. And so this is a cooperative effort, and you guys are working, and things are coming along, and your whole house is almost done. But then the day comes when maybe your enthusiasm for these renovations has started to diminish a little bit. And, and maybe, maybe it's just because Jesus wants to dig deeper, and the things that are left are some of those big things. Maybe they're the secret things. Maybe they're the, hab- the habits that we've got. Maybe they're the things that we actually hold on to because they're comfortable. Maybe it's that resentment we've held towards someone for so long and we just can't imagine letting go of it. And Jesus wants that stuff. And you start to drag a little bit on the renovations. And, and maybe it's that you're not as motivated, but maybe it's also that you're maybe wanting to resist a little bit. I don't think I want to show Jesus this stuff. I don't think I want to give some of this stuff up. I mean, we've made good progress. We could stop now. And I'd be happy with that. And other people have been really happy with that. But all of a sudden, you hear Jesus coming up the stairs. And you're like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And you grab your, your last little things. And you run down the hallway. And you go into the last closet of the room. And you lock yourself in. And here's all your last things that you haven't talked about, that you haven't let go of. And all of a sudden, you hear Jesus come up to the door. And once again, and this is kind of what we would call the, the crisis point of entire sanctification, where you are left with a decision where you're basically asking yourself the question, am I all in? Am I ready to give everything to Jesus? And you hear him knock again and say, I'd really like to finish the whole house. There's still some things that are in the way that we need to get cleaned up. And I'd like to come in. And then he just stands there. Because Jesus is so stubborn sometimes. And he's a persistent renovator. And you understand that in that moment, what Jesus really wants is the deed to your house. Jesus actually wants to own your home. He he wants to have all of it. He wants to manage the house. He's done good work. He's cleaned up a lot of garbage. You feel much better than when it was the starting point. The question is, will you give it to him? The question is, will you let go of some of those things that you love? Will you get let go of some of the things that have been impossible to let go of? 
You know he'd do a much better job at running the house. He's the guy who's got all the expertise. When you know that he would do an incredible job, but you, you still have that little part of you that's like, I kind of like being in control of my own home. And so you have been made holy and you have progressed in your holiness, but what is in the last little corners of your home? What is in the last closet of that last hallway? An entire sanctification is stepping out of your closet, going to your home office, grabbing the mortgage papers and the deed to your house, and handing it to Jesus and saying, it's all yours. It's all yours. This is your home now. Everything that I am and everything that is in here, I want you to have it. I want you to finish cleaning it. And I want to give the home to you. Now, in that moment, it doesn't mean that you're done. It doesn't mean that you have somehow finished. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to finish renovating your house. But then he's going to say, I bet, I bet we could make this house into something better. I bet we could build some rooms onto this house. I bet you could build on some services that would benefit the people in your neighborhood. I bet there are ways that we could really build this little bungalow into something substantial and something significant, but you've got to give me the house and you've got to keep letting me do the work. It's not a decision of being finished. It's the moment where you say, all right, Jesus, I'm all yours. Every last corner with whatever you want to do with it, however you want to clean it, I trust that you know what's best and I give you ownership. So the question today for all of us is have you given ownership of your life to Jesus? Have you given him everything? Are you still holding on to some things? Are there still some boxes that are taped shut that you don't want anyone to see? Is there still a little corner of your closet that, no, that's, I'm really comfortable with that. I don't want you messing with that. I really actually like holding on to this habit, even though I know it's bad for me. I, I actually enjoy being angry at that person. I'm actually kind of a fan of gossiping. I don't know if I can let go of some of these things. And Jesus is asking all of us for the deeds to our house. And the question is, will you give it to him? It's that moment where you say, all right, in complete obedience and complete submission, I give my life to you. I want you to run my house. I want you to be in control of it. Every weekend, we give people the opportunity to be saved. We lead them through a prayer. It happens a lot. In the last month, we've had 10 people open the front door and let Jesus in. We celebrate that. But today, what I want us to do is give people an opportunity to give Jesus the deed to their house. I want to give us the opportunity to say, all right, Jesus, I'm all yours. Everything that I am and everything that I've been holding on to and the dusty boxes in my basement, take them. And it's not a specific prayer for this. There's not a, a big commitment card thing for this. This is something between you and between Jesus and between how the Spirit is talking to you right now. But I know that there are people in this room who love Jesus and they've been growing in their faith, but there's still some more that you need to give to them. 
And so as the band sings this last song, I want to give you guys the opportunity to respond. And I'm going to come pray for us when it's all said and done and for those people that want to make that decision. But if you need to respond during the song, we would love for you to do that. If you need to make this a tangible response where you come up to one of the altars and kneel, then maybe that's the best thing for you to do. And I would challenge you to do that if that's the way you're feeling. Sometimes we need that tangible moment where I got up and I actually knelt before him and I said, take everything. So if you need to do that during prayer, we would love for you to do that. If you just need to do that while you're singing, by all means, but I'm, I'm going to come pray in a few minutes and lead us in a final prayer. But don't, don't resist what the Spirit is doing in your life tonight. Know that it will be better to let go of some of the things in your life then hold on to them. And even if it's painful in the moment, it'll be so much better in the long run. So today, let's make the decision to let Jesus in and to have everything.